Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Cannizzaro and Aaron Smith as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside the OC. My name is Matt Cannizzaro, and you have tuned in for another terrific episode of our podcast that uh, talks all about the USBC Open Championships uh, and so much more, really. Uh, Before we get going with today's guest, let's bring in my co-host for this week's show, Aaron Smith. Welcome. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Aaron. Welcome back to the show. Excited to be here. This is uh, another great guest scheduled for today, another uh, I think it's going to be a fun and great conversation with another uh, excellent ambassador for the sport of bowling. So uh, definitely excited for this show. Hope everything is well in your world as well, Matthew, even though we're in the same Metroplex. I haven't seen you in so long outside of this. So after our talk last week with Sean Lee, you know, we worked out some of our, our relationship issues and uh, I think we're in a better spot now. So thank you, Sean. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's do the thing, Matthew. All right, feeling very motivated after last week's talk with Sean, uh, and now um, to kind of set it up a little bit in in the world in the bowling world, uh, I am what you just consider round, right? But this gentleman on today's show is well rounded, one of the most well rounded guests I think we've had as far as what he's accomplished, uh, going all the way back to his youth days, collegiate bowling, Team USA, Open Championships, and still doing it for a lifetime. His first OC title came back in 1993. Uh, he's making headlines uh, as recently as 2018 uh, and still planning to do more now that he has reached uh, 50 years old. So we'll talk about all that and much more. Today's guest, two-time USBC Open Championships Titleist, USBC Hall of Famer, Steve Klumpkin. Steve, welcome. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. We appreciate thanks for joining us. Yeah, certainly. Um, just in the, the few minutes that we've gotten to talk already, uh, so much cool stuff, cool stuff behind you, uh, amazing things that you get to do all day and every day uh, in your job, and we're going to talk about all of that over the next uh, what's supposed to be an hour, but always turns into more uh, just because it's so much fun. Cool. Yeah, I'm eager to uh, talk about it. There's definitely a lot of stuff to go over. Um, there's a lot of exciting stuff in the world of Storm and you know the, the business that, that I work in daily, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyment, uh, testing and developing new products and bowling balls. And then, of course, the experience on the lanes, whether it was in college or Team USA or the Open Championships, uh, even bowling against uh, your guest last week, Sean Lee. We were talking about that a little bit. And uh, he's a tough act to follow, by the way. He does have a lot of energy and excitement. It was, uh, it was cool to see him again. I haven't seen him in person in a while. And uh, it was cool to it was cool seeing him get on your guys' show. So it's awesome. All right. Well, folks, to, to set it up, just to, to clarify what uh, this gentleman has accomplished in his career, uh, two-time member of Team USA, world champion in 1991, twice. Uh, also, again, we mentioned the Eagles in 1993 and 2003. We'll get the details on those as the show rolls on. Uh, and then decades later, still making magic at the Open Championships, rolled the first 300 game of the 2018 event in Syracuse, New York, and parlayed that uh, into a run at the Masters title that year, made the TV show at the USBC Masters, uh, ended up uh, in the top five and, and bowling against uh, one of his co-workers. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, so cool things, great history, 
a lot of details. Uh, and then in his day job, uh, uh, a man among men, uh, uh, Storm Products, to doing a little bit of everything, marketing, ball development, ball testing. Uh, and, uh, you know, for some folks might say, oh, Steve just bowls all day long and drills balls, and, like, he's just out there, and, like, that's what he does. And uh, I didn't think that was true. I thought he was uh, he was uh, doing many, many things. And then uh, we got pushed back the other day just a couple minutes because he was uh, – he was downstairs testing balls, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the explanation there and, and we'll hear about so much. So uh, Steve, first thing uh, we like to do is catch up with our guests on just what's been happening in the world, especially in 2020. That's the reason for this podcast, of course, uh, is because of uh, just trying to make some things happen uh, in a crazy world. Uh, you guys actually were among the first or if not the first uh, to take to this platform and this, uh, this podcast endeavor. Uh, in the, the morning bolt and some, doing some cool things. So uh, tell us about life for you in, in Utah and Storm and, and just uh, what it's been like for you. Yeah, yeah, it has been a crazy year. There's no question about that. I mean, 2020, I don't think any of us saw this coming. And, uh, you know, when we started out earlier in the year and it was quite evident that we weren't going to be able to, you know, be meeting in person and, you know, Storm for the longest time, we've been known for uh, sponsoring a lot of tournaments and being very active on the road and involved with a lot of groups. And uh, used to, uh, you know, seeing a lot of people face to face and shaking hands and, you know, talking to people being down in the lanes and on the concourse a lot. And then when it was, you know, pretty evident that that wasn't going to happen or wasn't going to be able to happen, uh, that we were going to be, you know, life was going to be changing a lot for us there. Um, it was, yeah, Gary uh, Halsenberg and Blair, they did a really nice job setting up this uh, program or this event, the Morning Bolt. And, you know, that's turned into a, a three day a week event Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and uh, has since has spurred on a lot of other uh, kind of similar interests and shows and stuff like that, where it, it does make it nice to be able to, you know, connect just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of face-to-face -face and dialogue and stuff like that is definitely good. Uh, so when you can't see people in person and you have this kind of a platform to do that, I think it's it's real helpful. Okay. Now, now you guys, at the beginning of all this mess, we're, uh, we're at home doing some work and then I uh, got back to normal, maybe a little bit quicker than some other folks. And uh, so work has progressed uh, as, as much as I can uh, in this craziness, of course, and, and being in the bowling ball business and bowling centers, bowling leagues and tournaments being shut down, um, we're able to do some creative things, of course. Uh, but tell us, uh, a little bit more about day-to-day uh, -day for you and, and just so, so everybody knows, again, you, you've moved around and done some different things at Storm going back to 1996. Also had a stint with us in Texas at USBC uh, just for a minute there. Uh, but uh, a chance to see, I think, some different facets of, of the industry and, and Storm and um, just just give us some uh, some general background there. Yeah, as far as Storm goes, I mean, there's there's been – there hasn't been a lot here at Storm that I haven't been involved with. I mean, I still – and am involved with many different areas, but I started out working uh, in the booth at the Open Championships Tournament. So back then it was the ABC National Championship. It was actually in Salt Lake City in 1996, and that's where I got started. And, you know, back at that time we had, a, I think there was a forest fire and a firestorm were our two, you know, high-performance bowling balls that we sold. And we had maybe three other choices uh, along with some polo shirts and I think a couple of two-ball totes, and that was about all we had. As far as our product line goes, we also sold Dexter shoes at the time, and uh, that was how I got started. And so I did that for several years and uh, did some tour repping over the years. Um, also did a lot of work internationally with some of the uh, amateur uh, squads from Korea and, and worked a lot in Japan with seminars and events 
in uh, Singapore more recently, uh, worked with their national team for several years as well uh, on the technical side of it. Uh, but you know, as far as position wise goes, I've been involved with marketing and uh, the tech side and product development. And like we were talking, Matt, just the other day when uh, when I was a few minutes late for the call, sorry about that. Uh, but I actually, you know, was just going from the lanes, coming back upstairs from testing a new product, which is something I really uh, enjoy doing. I mean, it's really fun. I don't care who you are, uh, it, it, whether you're a national staffer, you know, Jason Belmonte and Norm Duke and Pete Weber, when they hear we have a new bowling ball that's coming out, they can't wait to drill it. And I'm, you know, the same way when I got one that that's coming out, I can't wait to go test it and see what we've got because we're constantly working on that on new cover stocks and new cores. And, you know, and then we're trying to see how they perform under different environments and oil patterns and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's something that I'm really fortunate and I enjoy doing and love to do. And, uh, you know, and then also, you know, just communicating with so many other people down in the plant. Uh, that actually manufacture, make the bowling balls and uh, ship them, you know, customer service and our freight department. I mean, uh, shipping, it's, you know, it's just a, it's a, it is, I mean, everybody kind of says that it's sort of cliche, but it is a big team effort. And so many people have to pitch in to do their job in order to make something work. And, and that's what, that's kind of what we've been doing here. And we have been fortunate, like you mentioned, we were shut down uh, for a little bit of time there. We were working remotely for about, it was maybe about a month or so. Uh, but for those of, the listeners who aren't familiar, Brigham City is a pretty small town. You know, there's only about, we got about 24, 25,000 people or so that live here. So it is pretty rural. And our county, because we are, you know, there's so much open space and not a very, uh, not dense population, we're pretty fortunate that the virus hasn't really affected us too much. And we haven't had uh, any cases here of people that have, that have contracted it. So that's one of the benefits of living uh, in a, a small town like this. Now, if you're a junkie for you know, pro sports and concerts and that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't get that coming through Brigham City, Utah too often. Uh, and maybe it is better being in Arlington and being down there for your <laughs> all, all of the activities and stuff. But uh, but in, in other instances like this, it is a bit of an advantage being more rural. Excellent, Steve. I, I got to go back to 1996 now. That It kind of came full circle, starting off in Salt Lake City. And then, uh, you know, obviously that's uh, Brigham City just outside of that now. But, uh, you know, you talked about the balls in the pro shop, the forest fire and the firestorm. I actually think Mark Anderson had two of those in the shop this past Ooh. year in Vegas. And I think one of your coworkers ended up uh, snagging those from him. I think Matt McNeil ended up. Uh, I hope he told Mark. Getting those. So. <laughs> If not, <laughs> I know they had a hefty price tag on them. So I bet they I, did. I, I know Mac and uh, with all that, uh, with all that Eagle money he's got lying around there. I'm sure. Right. He's yeah. He's made a few dollars, hasn't he, at the tournament. But, uh, you know, starting off, uh, you know, 1996, getting involved in the tournament, how did you, uh, you know, kind of work your way into getting to the booth? Yeah, it was just kind of a strange thing. You know, I mean, I, I graduated from college um, in 1995 from Wichita State, go Shockers. And uh, unfortunately, uh, at the time, the PBA Tour was not really in a good financial spot. So I had every aspiration, like everybody else, I think, at that time of going out on tour. And uh, everybody that I had talked to from the, you know, I got to know some of the tour reps and some of the industry people uh, from all the different companies. And, uh, and had, you know, just was kind of, you know, asking about and looking at like, okay, well, this is what, of course, I'm planning on doing now. Um, and, and how's everything look? And unfortunately, right at that time, that was just a couple of years before uh, the end of ABC, you know, with their broadcast of Saturday afternoon bowling. It was just a couple of years before then. Um, I think that was in 97. So, you know, in 95, it was like I say, if I had graduated college a couple of years earlier, or maybe even a couple of years later, stay, say when Steve Miller uh, 
came on board and then we had all that money that came in from uh, Microsoft and Real Networks, uh, Rob Glazer and Chris Peters. Uh, from when that happened, if I graduated either earlier or later, I'm quite sure I would have ended up on tour, but I didn't. I was in this little window where it was like, well, that's probably not going to work out because of the direction it's going right now. And it's not looking very good to make a living as a professional bowler. So what else can I do? You know, and I had been involved in the, uh, in the pro shops. I started working in, in uh, at the showboat in Samstown in Las Vegas in the late eighties and uh, had helped some of the pro shops. And we had our own pro shop. Actually, we started uh, right when I got out of college there in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, it was just, you know, kind of like, okay, well, if I can't bowl for a living, you know, what can I do to work for a living? And, uh, and then that was where the opportunity came. It was this, at the time was an up and coming, you know, new brand that a lot of people hadn't heard of. There was a couple of better bowlers that had heard of it. But uh, when I started working there, we hadn't even had a win on the uh, PBA tour yet. We had a couple of shows uh, and that was it. But Dennis Haran uh, had won the first title there in uh, Windsor Locks in 1996. And that was after I'd already started. So yeah, so at the time it was like, you're going to work for who? Like they'd only heard of, you know, <laughs> some of the, the other more well-established brands, you know, the, at the time, the, uh, the Brunswick's and uh, Columbia's and AMF's and Ebonite's, you know, those were the, the premier brands at the time. And Storm was just an up and comer and nobody had really known about Storm. So um, I took it as a good opportunity to kind of get started. And, uh, and I'd always, I'd, well, I'd bowled the open championships for several years at that time. And I remember going by all those uh, times, walking by the booths, bowling the tournaments and, you know, stopping by the booths myself just as a consumer, you know, seeing what all the new stuff was and talking to the experts. So I thought that would be pretty cool to actually become one of the experts myself. So that was that was kind of where that started. Uh, I, I think both you guys might agree uh, in our industry. It's uh, it's really pretty small and uh, it's a lot of, uh, you know, especially getting in the door and then moving around a little bit, kind of who you know and who you talk to and relationships that you build along the way. Uh, so we're going to talk mm -hmm. about some of those relationships for you, Steve, and kind of how they got to you, got you to where you are. Uh, you mentioned the showboat in Las Vegas. That's that's where you grew up. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I did not know this until until this week. But, uh, you know, as you were kind of determining your path, which started with soccer, you said um, yeah. you were coached by the great Don Johnson. Uh, yeah. And, and kind of got the tips and the, the guidance and, and the motivation to, to take your bowling game. Uh, to another level and, and it happened it looks like pretty quickly for you uh, and then you mentioned the late 80s yeah. the early 90s uh, but talk about that in the background there uh just the how special and important just the showboat was uh, to our sport and then uh you know and then kind of what came after that we'll talk about team usa and then wichita state but uh yeah a pretty good start to a career yeah it was you know it was really good fortune i mean that's what you know john mark uh, manzioni wrote a, a nice article for the hall of fame induction it was you know, kind of about that, which, you know, it was like Las Vegas. It's like, you know, there's a lot of good fortune it takes to, to, to make some money uh, in the casino. You know, the odds aren't in your favor that you'll make some money. And uh, the odds, you know, definitely aren't in your favor that you're going to just kind of randomly uh, grow up where there's a bowling center right around you, you know, right around the corner. You know, I could basically uh, ride my bike to go get a lesson from Don Johnson, who people would fly from South Africa to get a lesson from him. And I lived, you know, uh, a mile away, you know, so that's some, some serious good fortune there, but uh, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, that's kind of what it was all about. And there was lots of bowling centers there in town uh, in Vegas at the time. Uh, there was a lot of bowling centers that are there now that weren't built yet. You know, the South Point and the, uh, the Orleans, the Sun Coast, 
some of these centers when I was growing up, uh, even Texas Station, weren't they weren't even there yet. And uh, the showboat was one. I mean, it was just an iconic place um, that we just knew as, you know, we'd see the, you know, the, the greatest bowling, bowlers in the world would go there to compete. And you'd see the PBA tour there three times a year. I mean, they had the senior tour. They had the, the regular uh, invitational tournament, which was the big one they had in the winter. It was always the, uh, I think it was the second stop on the winter tour. And you would have, you know, the greatest bowlers come through there and you'd see Earl Anthony, Mark Ross and Marshall Holmans. I mean, just kind of weird, but yeah, they were there like three times, you know, two, three times a year you'd see them there. And, uh, you know, and you get a chance to see, you know, there back then the, the averages, you know, in your leagues, a lot of times they, you know, if you averaged, oh, I'd say 195 to maybe 211, 212 or so, you were right at the top of the list. And you wouldn't see a lot of times back then, you know, you mean, if you wanted to see somebody average 220 or see somebody, you know, shoot 260 or 270 a couple of different times, I mean, you had to wait for that time of the year for it to happen, you know. So that was kind of a, you know, that was kind of a cool special thing. Um, and 106 lanes, you know, I mean, there's that, you think about the size of bowling centers. Imagine it's one through 70 was the main section of the main side of the showboat. And then you had the sports book that you had to walk through and get to seven, to the pavilion lanes, which is 71 to 106. And they called it the pavilion lanes because they actually had an area that was above there, which is where they had all of the, on the second floor, they had all of the uh, table tennis tournaments. They had boxing matches and wrestling matches. And they had a, a sports pavilion up there that was, uh, that you would have to go through the casino to get up top to get there. And sometimes you would even hear the action like while you're in the bowling center of the stuff that was happening above there. So it was a cool spot. I mean, it was neat. I mean, they had all, the high roller tournaments and all kinds of stuff, uh, action that, you know, you just can't even imagine, um, you know, how much, I mean, take a look at Paul Renteria, for example, right? I mean, he won not just one, but two $200,000 tournaments twice. He won $200,000 twice. Uh, they're at the showboat, you know, and uh, there's just aren't that kind of bowling, you know, just unfortunately is not there uh, as of today with that kind of money and that amount of participants. And they used to have the 630 and the nine o'clock leagues that were filled up uh, with 106 lanes, you know, and that's where it started for me. You know, that was where it kind of all began. So it was just where I bowled my first league and where I had my first job. And, uh, you know, it was a great place. Now, Steve, growing up at, at that time and being so close to the showboat had to be uh, pretty awesome. And I was watching your uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction speech prior to this, doing yeah. a little research. And, and you mentioned you would you used to uh, sneak out of your house to go watch scratch bowling. Uh, I did. I was a rebel, wasn't I? Yeah, I was such a rebel. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, what were, uh, you know, kind of that time, like who were the folks you went to go watch in that situation? Who were the the big names mm. in Vegas kind of out there that, uh, you know, you like to watch or, you know, bottled your game after maybe or just, uh, you know, yeah. just enjoyed seeing them compete? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, he was one of my buddies that I ran around with a lot. You know, Don Johnson's son. Uh, great player himself, PBA champion. He won on the tour in 1990. Um, but we had so many good bowlers uh, back then that, that were, you know, idolized. Bob Bernowski, uh, Brad Adams, a couple of the guys that I had bowled with. Uh, I grew up with Dave Watka. You know, he was, uh, we bowled junior leagues together. Um, we, you know, we uh, uh, both had, you know, grown up watching a lot of these uh, better scratch players uh, that were in around town. Bruce Carter, uh, George Lee. Um, 
there was a, a guy named Mike Foreman, who I think some people might know, some people might not, but uh, he was one of the best players. Uh, I, I would say one of the best players you'd really find uh, from that time. He was left-handed. And so, you know, a lot of times people would say, oh, he was the best lefty, you know, but it was really, he just happened to bowl with his left hand. I think if he was right-handed, he would have been the best too. And uh, you mentioned Dave Watka. We actually have a, a throwback yeah. photo here, 92 Nationals. Oh, you found a good one, huh? So we got you in the middle, and then uh, oh yeah, there's Dave to your <laughs> right. So that's awesome. Look at that. Yep, that's me in the middle. There's Dave to to my right, and then uh, all the way on on my right on the viewers' left here, I guess would be Brad Adams, and then Troy Bridges is next to me, and then Niall Konacek, who was a great player himself, and. Uh, uh, Niall and Brad and myself, um, actually the three of us ended up, we were on the team. We had the two different players in 1993 that we ended up bowling together on. And we actually set the, uh, the all-time record there for team all events scored just the year after this, which is hard to believe. Look how, look how young we were. Wow. So now we, uh, we are here to talk about the open championships, of course, the, uh, the inside the OC podcast, um, and your OC career or experience at least with the event uh, actually goes back to 1986 in Las Vegas. Uh, you're a teenager at the time, uh, but you got to see the event happen at Cashman Center. So the lanes built uh, just as they were in 2009 uh, and a chance to go and see uh, the amazing venue and the best in the world. And then your competitive career started three years later in 1989 in Wichita again. So mm -hmm. trying to put the timelines together uh, and the fact that you went to Wichita state after so logical question, did the experience you had in 1989 translate to your collegiate decision as well, which we'll learn uh, was not the case at all. Uh, but tell us about uh, going to the Open Championships first as a teenager in 1986, uh, and then uh, what prompted the decision and the timing to go uh, for the first time as a competitor in 1989. You mentioned even 1988 just as a guest, just to get a feel for it. Uh, yeah. But uh, tell us about kind of the, the beginning of Steve Klumpkin at the Open Championships. Yeah, they, they had a uh, – yeah, thanks, Maz. In 1986 um, was the host of the Open Championships that year, and it was it was at Cashman, uh, which was the same place where they used to have the AAA baseball team would play and uh, had nationals there in 2009. Uh, so it was just north of the downtown area there. And uh, so they had a, a youth – tournament that they ran and i think some of this even still happens uh today where you actually get to go there and compete on the lanes and go through the, the you know the weigh-in process the squad room bring you up through the back and uh and then there was a, a a tournament and you know come to find out that that is all part of the process that you need when you're putting in new pin setters and everything trying to make sure that they run right and doing a lot of your troubleshooting making sure that the lane condition, you know, maybe even testing out the lane conditions a little bit and making sure that everything is working properly and, and giving even, I'm sure there's a lot of new hires and new employees that are working the tournament that it gives everybody a chance to kind of get their feet wet a little bit. So yeah, so Dave Wadka and myself and uh, Willie Wilson and Crystal Ortega, we all, that was our four person team there. And we had actually uh, went, had uh, competed there uh, as a, as a team in this youth tournament. It was pretty sweet. Uh, to be able to actually bowl on those lanes. Then they actually had a pro-am there as well that I think my mom had finished in the top 10 in out of 1,000-plus entries that they had back then. And then it also included at the time uh, your bowling ball that you got to that had the uh, 
uh, ABC Masters, 1986 ABC Masters, uh, that had the special logo on there that you got as well for participating in that. And that was pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of good memories from back then. And uh, it might be still be some of the stuff that they do today when they're trying to, you know, you go into a, a, a center uh, that is a fresh install and you got to make sure that all the screws are screwed down and nails are put in and, you know, and you're not getting uh, lane damage to the bowling balls and, and kind of troubleshoot all the pin setters and make sure that everything's working. That is all true. And uh, now that we know that it really is such a, a special experience uh, for the youngsters and we, we kind of talk about it like it is. Uh, and hoping that that being their first taste of the Open Championships, that eventually, when it's time, they will become the next competitors uh, on that stage. And uh, and in your case, that uh, that absolutely did happen. You got to go again Definitely. a couple of years later to to see the event and participate in some of the side events. Uh, and then then it happened for you in '89. So tell us about '88, '89, and uh, just getting to compete for real. Yeah, yeah, 88. Um, that was in Jacksonville. And that was the first tournament really where I had left Las Vegas to bowl in a tournament. And it was like, okay, well, I didn't have a, a team for the tournament, but I didn't feel like I was ready for it either. I wasn't looking for a team. It was kind of like my buddies, you know, they were like, hey, do you want to come with us? We're going to bowl and uh, you kind of see what it's all about. And, uh, you know, and, and it was like, oh, that's cool. So I brought my two bowling balls with me. Uh, you know, one for oily lanes and one for dry lanes and went down and bowled in the bowler's journal uh, tournament that time. and got to, because it was the master's week, uh, got to sort of rub shoulders a little bit with uh, a lot of the professionals, you know, cause they have the rule where you could have the one professional, you had to have an amateur. Uh, you couldn't have two pros competing together in that and, uh, and got to just basically bowl in those lanes and then go down and then actually watch uh, the team that I was there with uh, compete on the lanes uh, and actually see what it was like. Cause I didn't, you know, I was there from what I had seen from the masters, uh, or from my experience in Las Vegas in 1986. Uh, but to go there now that I had already started now to work at the, at the showboat and work in the pro shop and starting to look and see what the differences were in bowling balls and strategies and angles and layouts and all this stuff, it was just kind of so much more involved. It was like just going from like a casual observer you know, it'd be like if I was in, uh, say I was interested in making films or something like that, you know, going to see a movie as just a, a casual guest like I do now versus like a filmmaker and how much, you know, how many different things I would see going to watch a movie now, um, looking at it from such a different perspective. So from there, I was like, after I had that first experience in 1988, I was like, well, I definitely, you know, I need to bowl this next year. So that was when I started gathering, you know, say, hey, do you guys want to bowl? You want to bowl? And we actually drove from Las Vegas to Wichita in uh, 1989. And we bowled in February and we got to Wichita. And uh, when I got to Wichita, <laughs> and I, I had no idea what kind of cold I was in for uh, there. So <laughs> I think I even bought a coat in Wichita when I got there. I was so I was freezing. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a cool experience and, uh, I don't think I bowled, I think I had a, a small 1800 or so in Wichita, which I don't think it was too bad. Um, but I remember, you know, just kind of actually being on the lanes and sort of feeling the energy and the excitement and, uh, the stuff you still, I still kind of feel that today, you know, when you click on that first ball, of team events, pretty, uh, powerful moment, you know? Uh, so I still, you know, kind of remember that feeling a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, I, I had some crossing, crossing with, uh, some people there in Wichita that I that I still uh, Corbett Austin, who I work with today here at Storm, uh, was on that team as well as Dave Garber. 
who has been a friend and you know industry person that we've all known uh, for decades now. So now trying to wrap my head around this time frame again. Uh, 1988, you leave Las Vegas to bowl for the first time. And three years later, you're in Singapore with Team USA winning two gold medals at the World Championships. Uh, yeah. That's a lot happening in a very short amount of time. And either you just were ready, ready, and just didn't have anywhere to go for a minute, or a lot happened quickly. Tell us about uh, the time span. This is even before heading off to college. Uh, but yeah. to go from that first trip to the World Championships, uh, wow. Tell us tell us how all that transpired. Yeah, it does seem like it happened pretty quickly because I remember, you know, really just going from, say, like 1988, 1989, and then all of a sudden qualified for Team USA the summer of 1990 to make the team in 91. It was like, whoa, this thing happened really quickly. But what I had found was that one of the great perks of working at either the showboat or Samstown as an employee, uh, free lineage. So I, I took advantage of that. And I can tell you that week in and week out, I must have bowled. I mean, it, it was not uncommon to bowl 75 games in a week, you know, for sure. And then I had the other, then the coaching, whether it was Bill Hall or uh, Don Johnson, you know, there. So a lot of games and, you know, you're young. So the joints and everything still feels good. Your muscles work right. And you got all that enthusiasm and energy and stuff and you're ready to go get them. And then, uh, and what else did we have in Vegas too? You know, if you were at the showboat or Samstown, it was every bowling center was 24 hours. You know, it was the other thing too. So it was like literally pot, you know, we bowl scratch leagues at night, nine o'clock league. We get done. We'd bowl a few pot games. Then we'd go eat breakfast at like one in the morning and then go back out and then either bowl more action or sometimes just go practice more on stuff that maybe you hadn't didn't bowl that good in, in the action bowling that night, you know? So we did that several nights a week and just consequently it just, you know, you just end up getting good because you just bowl that much. So it was kind of cool. Kathy Wadka too. I worked for Dave's mom. Uh, she represented team USA in 1987 in Finland. And uh, so, you know, it was kind of like, well, I saw that there. I worked at the showboat first, 87 to 89, uh, in the pro shop, 86, I started as a scoring attendant. Uh, but then in 89, I started working for Kathy there. And then it was like, Ooh, team USA. I, you know, I hadn't even really thought of it too much before, uh, before we got to know her and became a little bit more familiar with that in team USA. And it was like, oh, okay. And then back then at that time, there was a, you know, you'd have to qualify through your league for the city finals. And then there was a Las Vegas city tournament. And then you had to advance from that to the Nevada state tournament. And then you advance from that to the region uh, finals. And then we had the region finals, uh, was up at Cloverleaf. And that was, I think we had three advancers from that. So we ended up getting to, you know, four tournaments later. So going through all the steps to, to qualify for the national team, uh, was quite an endeavor on its own. Uh, but there was no, you know, there was no problem as far as, uh, as far as, uh, bowling, you know, that many games and that frequently, cause that was all I did, you know, I just, that's, that's what I did. So, uh, but you're right. It seemed like I went from, you know, all of a sudden, I didn't re re you know, you really don't see it till later. Uh, but it seemed like all of a sudden it was like, yeah, there I am in Singapore. And you're like, wow, how'd that happen? You know, just a couple of years before that, it was like, you know, I was just going to watch good bowlers bowl. Well, now, as Aaron would attest to you, um, Wichita 
is kind of a, a hidden gem. It's not a place that you would make a destination, but once you get there, you realize that uh, there's a lot to it, a lot of character, a lot of redeeming qualities that make you want to go and stay. Uh, so a- as we asked the other day, it- it's pretty logical to-, to question, you know, hey, did your experience in 1989 in Wichita make you want to go back and stay and go to college there? Of course, uh, that was just after a national title for the Shockers men. Uh, and of course, uh, for Gordon Vatican, the head coach, and, and the Chilton Vending team, 87 to 89 was a pretty phenomenal time in their Open Championships career as well. Uh, but your time at Wichita, your decision uh, actually had more to do with Team USA and Gordon than it did Wichita itself. And uh, so tell us about that. Of course, to, to go there, uh, the storied collegiate program, you, you have to be pretty good already. You have to have aspirations uh, and expectations. Uh, but uh, it wasn't the city itself that sold you at first. It was actually it had more to do with Gordon and Team USA. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It did. You know, when I went there for in '89, you know, we saw the uh, we saw the the convention center where they had the lanes, and then they had North Rock Lanes, which is where they held uh, the Bowlers Journal Championships. And that's a you know that's a storied center, of course, on its own. There's so much history there uh, with uh, the PBA and. Uh, Albie and Ozio shooting 300, 279 in the championship match. You know, there's a lot of history there at North Rock. And, uh, but for me, when I was on Team USA, I was uh, working full time and I was, uh, as I had mentioned before, bowling pot games all night and practicing during the day and working. And, you know, um, so there wasn't that much time for school. I mean, I had, uh, I, I think when I got through, I was still going part time to UNLV. And I think I got in the course of, two and a half, I think it was about two and a half years or so, I got, it was at like 38 credits or 42 credits or something like that was all it was. And I remember Gordon said, hey, you know what? Here, there's a, a bit of a problem here <laughs> that I kind of foresee for you, which is at this pace, you're never going to graduate, Steve. You might want to change this up a little bit. And I tell you what, I got a better plan for you. And he's like, I think you should come to Wichita, go to school full time. You're going to become a better bowler. You're going to help us win some titles. You're going to get your degree, which is most important. What do you say? You know, and I was like, okay, let's do it. That sounds like a good idea. I think I got a better chance of doing this than, you know, as of right now, I'm taking one class a semester, maybe two. And it was just like going on and on. And I was like, I had such a good experience on Team USA with Coach Vatican. I was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to trust you on this because I really didn't have a, a whole lot of. We had the, at the show, but we had hosted collegiate tournaments there, and they still have. I know Las Vegas is still a good destination for those. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the Christmas break, they have the the, the yeah. couple of different tournaments there. Um, so I had been exposed to it just a little bit, but it, it wasn't anything that was set in my mind like this is something I really want to or have to do. It was, you know, it was just a matter of like you know, timing wise, you know, where it's like, okay, well, I gotta, yeah, I can either keep doing what I'm doing here, or I can make some changes, you know, accelerate this process a little bit, try and get my degree, see what happens from there. Uh, but it, I got, you know, more and more into bowling um, after I'd already started bowling or after I'd started going to college at UNLV. And then it would seemed like a, a better idea to go. And I just trusted, you know, trusted the advice and glad I did. Cool. Now we're last week, Sean Lee brought the energy. You just mentioned the word accelerated. It just feels like your whole career is accelerated. You're in fast forward mode. Uh, because now you get to Wichita, and uh, we talked about your, your two Eagles. The first one came in 1993, so you're just a 23-year-old college student. Uh, all of a sudden, you find yourself in the spotlight at the Open Championships. 
and simultaneously uh, the start of a three-year run of collegiate national titles. Uh, some mm. phenomenal, phenomenal performances. There's uh, there's one of those photos there. You mentioned Gordon, Dave <laughs> Garber there down in the front as well. Yeah. Terrific players. But again, the fast-forwarding career uh, of Steve Klumpkin here, um, what a time. And to, to shine the way that you did, uh, first tell us about, about this team and, and the success you had in school, and then we'll dial it back to the 1993 Eagle, all in the middle of everything. I can, I can tell you, this was an interesting year for us. And this was my first year. Um, I bowled in Wichita for three years, and this was our first one from 1993. This photo was from Indianapolis uh, when we had won. And I, I can tell you, it was a roller coaster of a year. It was really strange. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but we won uh, nationals, sectionals, the last two tournaments uh, before that. Uh, in pretty fine fashion, like we had sort of run away with them a little bit. Um, and but, but we didn't we were all kind of thrown together there a little bit. There was a little bit of carryover on the team with experience from before. Uh, Lonnie Wallachek had been through there a little bit. Um, but Brian Adelgren was on the uh, like developmental team basically the year before that. Uh, Garber and Lonnie were the only ones with experience there. John um, Murph and Kelly Bennett. Uh, were brand new to the team uh, as well. And everybody kind of came from that era there, basically just being young singles types of players. You know, there, was, there wasn't any kind of experience as far as for what it was like to be a team player. So I think our first, <laughs> I think our first five tournaments we bowled, uh, I mean, we didn't not even win. I mean, we didn't even come close to it. And I think it was like, uh, uh, you know, I think Gordon at the time was kind of wondering, like, what on earth did I do trying to recruit all these different, you know, kind of good individual bowlers from all over and bring them all together at once? Because it, it just did not sort of work and gel from the get go. And it wasn't that we didn't like each other or get along. It was that we just didn't know each other and didn't know how to communicate or how to, uh, you know, kind of work together as a team. You know what I mean? And then uh, it just took some time. And then when it did, it was like, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. And then it was, uh, and then we led the led the tournament there at nationals. And he, of course, you bowl the the step ladder, and we we took the lead, uh, or we we led it, and then we won, uh, beat San Jose State in the championship match. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was not like a, an easy thing where you just like, oh yeah, we're just gonna sail like to victory and just. We're Wichita State. We don't have to work at it. We're just the best bowlers. You know, it, it was so far from that that, you know, we had, like, again, we had really no idea exactly what we were in for. But uh, we come to find out that that we were pretty good. And as long as we sort of figured, and that's why you have your coaches. You know, we had Pat Henry and Mark Lewis uh, there as well to help work you through and kind of walk you along the way and help educate you and help, help you figure out exactly what it takes to become uh, a good team player. And once you can kind of get past that, I, and I, you know, it's, it's just so much of it's more than just actually, you know, throwing the ball. Well, it's a perfect segue there too, as far as being a team player, uh, your two world championships were doubles and trios, right? Then the three consecutive national titles in college. Uh, and then your Eagle was team all events. So, um, we're certainly comfortable in a team environment. What did you bring to those teams? What, what, what did you contribute to, to make them so good and so successful? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, um, I think every year it's a little bit different, you know, and depending on who's on the team, I think you provide a little some kind of a different um, different role, you know, and sometimes people are looking to you for 
you know, maybe your strength is uh, reading oil patterns, or maybe your strength is uh, knowing what it takes to talk to somebody on your team to figure out, okay, this guy's a little overhyped, or he's a little low energy, or whatever it is, whatever it takes to get them to an optimum place to where they can uh, perform their best. You know, and every even from tournament to tournament, though, sometimes, you know, you just really never know kind of where you're at. You sort of have to evaluate everything on a day to day or, uh, you know, tournament by tournament sort of basis. Um, but, you know, the crew that I had from Las Vegas uh, that we won the team all events in 93 at the time, it was the highest all time. I think it's third right now still for all time. But at the time, it was the highest team all event score that had ever been uh, set. Uh, and these were my guys uh, from Vegas that I knew from scratch bowling leagues, uh, from bowling action, my you know, doubles partners and just, you know, kind of side bets and gambling more experienced. Dave Whitehead was on tour. Rod McLean was a team USA player uh, from before. And then I bowled, you know, a lot of action doubles action with Brad Adams uh, at the showboat and at Samstown. And, you know, you just have to, I don't know, you just have to kind of know sort of where you fit in the mix and uh, if it was a, you know, the team from 93 versus a team from 94 versus the team from 95, it's, you know, it's all a little, it's all a little bit different, you know, and uh, from, from nationals from 93, uh, they're from Tulsa, you know, it was, it was definitely, you know, where you walk in there and it's like, man, you, you, I was around, I was the youngest guy on the team by, by many a years and uh, the least experienced. So they were the ones that were kind of, sort of lifting me up a little bit. But then when you get to your senior year at college bowling, you know, you're the, you're the senior guy, you know, and you're the one that has to kind of sort of show them the ropes a little bit, you know, and uh, you know, from 90, from 1991, from team USA, you talked about that from the world championships. Um, we had only, we had, you know, six guys that traveled there to the tournament and uh, five of us were between 21 and 24. And then our one, experienced guy who was, you know, he seemed uh, at the time, it was like, whoa, this guy was, you know, so he was like our uncle, you know what I mean? Like he was so much older. I think he was 32. And that was Ron Moore, who is, you know, as we all know now, you know, I mean, he's like the legend of uh, longevity and fitness and competitiveness and uh, PBA Hall of Famer, you know what I mean? I mean, he's, uh, he's the man. So, and, uh, and I challenge either of you, I know, Matt, you've been working on your physical fitness lately right now, but I would challenge you to get in the gym with Ron Moore. Oh no. Uh, oh, no. He, he would put a whooping on you, me and Aaron put together. We couldn't do as many pushups as he does in a day. We couldn't do them in a week. Yeah. The things that man does, even the day of a stepladder, the morning routine doesn't oh, change. I, I yeah. know he's awesome. Yeah. Isn't he? He definitely has earned uh, every bit of that longevity, and uh, it's fun to to talk to him, especially when it's like an 11 a.m. stepladder start. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, some good habits learned there. It looks like, uh, again, Steve, yeah. you're 50 years old, so you don't 50, look a, a day yeah. over 35 years old right now. So uh, you're doing uh, something right, too. You're kind. You're kind. I got the 50-year-old forehead glare, though. So <laughs> I'd love to have your hairline, Matt, but this is what I got. So all I can do is what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some impressive hair you got going there, Maddie. So nicely done. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any eagles, so I, I have to put my uh, my efforts somewhere else. But uh, I know Steve, you're not going to want to trade trade for an eagle. But uh, speaking yeah. of, um, let's uh, let's talk about 1993. Aaron, you had uh, yeah. you had some good stuff uh, keyed up there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, 
being in Wichita, Wichita State, uh, we had Brent Bowers on the show a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, mm. Wichita is an eagle town. That's, you know, the, the tournament yeah. is held in the higher, highest regard. So many great players, so many Hall of Famers have come from that area. Uh, so, you know, taking over the lead, eventually winning an eagle, uh, you know, did you really grasp that in 1993, what that meant? Or was that kind of a, you know, something, you know, over time you realized, wow, this is, this is huge. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't know it at the time. It was just like, I always wanted to win every tournament I went to, you know, whether it was the world, you know, world championships in Singapore, like I wanted to win, you know, this, I wanted to do that. You know, sometimes you have different reasons for whatever, but it was just like, you go to a tournament, the purpose is to win and that's it. So I really didn't know how hard it was because I'd only bowled a few years. And actually, I didn't tell you this. I don't know. Do you guys want to go back in time? Just Always. a couple of years. Absolutely. Are you guys okay with this kind of deviating just a little bit from the, of course, the, time the, the yes, schedule here? Okay. Yeah. So, so let's go back to 1990, uh, which was my second nationals experience. I went with Jimmy Johnson and Gary Gabriel. Uh, we went up to Reno, Nevada, and that was, uh, you know, this was before the stadium was built. So they had it in the convention center down on Virginia. You just go down south towards the mall there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was where the lanes were actually built. Now, we actually, we finished third in that tournament. It was a tie. It was This was Mike Newman's uh, four eagle uh, year. And we actually finished third. We had 31.83 and 32.01 won it. But we shot 31.83. And this was before there was no internet there was no scoring up there's no cell phones there was no update so i remember from las vegas you know calling when i was 19 years old uh that we would call every couple of weeks you know we'd have to either you're looking you're trying to find the phone book how do you even find the phone number <laughs> to get right to the right place at this tournament so you're just like calling reno information and then trying to find like a place where this you know that you bowl like it was a challenge just to find that and then call and seeing what the updates were. And I remember calling on the phone and it was like two and a half months after we bowled and it was like, Hey, we're still in the lead. Like, we, like we're, we're in first, like it was, we we're like, what's going on here. But the funny thing with that tournament is that we shoot 3183, three of us on the team that I mentioned me and Jimmy and Gary Gabriel. Um, there was one of the three of us were old enough to gamble. Now, we had heard, now this, tell me this is a great strategy. We had heard that the squads always ran late. So there was no point in rushing to get there in time because they always run late. So we were playing blackjack and we thought we were fine. We'd get there, we roll in about, well, I think it was like maybe 30 minutes later than what the squad actually starts. We roll in through the parking lot and the parking lot's full and we don't see anybody and we're like, oh crap, we're starting to run. We got our two tote bags, one on each shoulder. Through the snow, Gary slips, his feet go up from underneath him. He lands, because we're from Las Vegas, right? So we're not used to walking in the snow even with these. We go in, we're bowling with Dan Nadu, and, and they basically rush us to the lanes with no practice. We're the last squad to start, uh, the last pair to start, no practice and uh and we we almost won the thing with, with no practice gambling underage not on time for our squad because we heard 
that it usually runs late. <laughs> you hear that, folks? Yes, yeah. that happens. Don't believe everything you hear. Early, or two hours early. Or if you want to take the lead, just just show up whenever you want. And we'll, uh, whenever you want, just yeah. Practice as long is as you're young enough that you don't need practice shots to loosen up. Yeah, nice. as long as that, as long as that's the case. So, but ninety three, we got there on time. We we went through the whole routine, the strategy, and worked together as a team. We had a few different players that were on the team there. Um, from that picture you showed before with Dave Wadka, um, but that was with uh, with Brad Adams, Niall Konacek, Rod McLean, and uh, Dave Whitehead. And uh, yeah, we we finished in the top ten in the uh, the team event, and we were like, wow, this is pretty good. But we didn't really have any other real expectations till we came in uh, the next day. And this was before you had any practice shots. And actually, I can run through this with you real quickly too, since we uh, since we're okay with kind of going off off uh, path a little bit. So. So the, Niall Konacek, uh, so we start out in, they were really dry. I mean, the, the end, I mean, they really hooked the end of team event. And, and so we get in, there's no practice. Uh, we get in for the singles and doubles. Uh, so the first shot I throw in doubles counts for score. You know, there's no warm ups. You get the lane in the back, the stub lane to try and loosen up, but you don't get to throw a shot on the lane. My first shot goes in the right gutter of doubles. And then my next shot is a big four. So I got six in the first frame. And then Niall gets up and he's like, oh, they're tighter. And then I went big four. So then he was kind of a little bit confused. So then he made an adjustment and he went two, eight, 10 and opened. And then I went up there and I went two, four, eight, 10 and opened. So I had 15 in the second and he opened. We ended up finishing seventh in the doubles and uh, we ended up setting the all-time i mean we, it was just it was just crazy it was like man we went from like all of a sudden you know you're like well this is a complete disaster and train wreck and then a couple frames later everything all of a sudden the clouds cleared up and the sun started shining and birds were chirping and everything and it was all good well and now to be 23 years old and and bring an eagle home especially to Wichita uh, that had to be a pretty special feeling and pretty awesome and and you had to feel uh, just again just incredible to to bring that home Yeah yeah it really was and it wasn't until really at the end when it was like cuz I didn't even know what we had shot I mean I knew we had bowled good and it but you know they didn't even at the time ever post anywhere with the team all events uh scores were you know i mean it wasn't like part of the rolling they used to have the digital board where you could go and see you know exactly what the scores were for the top 10 um in any division but you, you didn't know what the team all event was so i when we actually got done it wasn't and i don't i don't know who interviewed us from the american from the abc um but they had said do you realize this is the highest you know we're like like we literally had no idea till we got done it was just a matter of like just throw a shot you're just like high five and your, you know, your teammates like, yeah, and just pumping your fists and running them out. And it was just strike after strike, you know, doubles and singles. And we got done and we're like, whoo, that was great. You know, and then we just literally didn't know until we went to the, you know, the press room afterwards. We're like, hey, we want to take your pictures. You guys took the lead and stuff. And, uh, and then that's when we found out we set the all-time record. I'll, yeah. I'll actually so tell you, really, 20, 27 cool. years later, 27 years later, it still works that way. Just for the record, it's still a surprise. It's still, it's still not, it's not on the leaderboard. Uh, it's yeah. just, uh, it's just the PR guy coming out and yeah, here I yeah. am. Here's my camera. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's a little more publicized of course, but, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. the same process uh, all these years later. 
Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Then that's got it. And I tell you what, I got to imagine. I mean, I've seen that happen in sports, uh, you know, many a different times. And I get that gets into, you know, DeAndro was uh, did a little uh, a show with uh, Jason with you guys here. Um, I think it was just last week or the week before and uh, went through, talked about the mental game. But a lot of times when you're actually in battle, you know, like you don't know or you're not, you know, it's like you find out kind of afterwards what it was like, you know, like what this, what really happened or what it, but like while you're in it, you're just like worried, you know, you're just thinking about what's happening, what my adjustments and moves and strategies are, and should I change balls or should I do this or that? And then when it all comes together, you get done, you know, then you look up and see the scoreboard. Like if you're doing that, you got a chance of winning. If you're like looking at the scoreboard saying, well, I, I got to throw 16 out of the next 18 and make sure I don't open. Then I can, you know, if, if you're in that mode, you're, you're not winning. Chances are it's not going to happen. Well, um, at that point, we talked about really what happened to you after college, of course, the titles, the Eagles. Uh, so much happened in such a, a short amount of time, and it was all acceleration up until the end of college. You mentioned uh, at that point, trying to figure out life, the career, the PBA tour. Uh, probably wasn't going to happen mm. at that point. Got into the pro shop world, ended up at the Open Championships in 1996, uh, and then mm -hmm. took a different path. So what was happening so yeah. fast – uh, it was then a decade, really, uh, before you emerged, at least in, in this regard, uh, on the national stage again. Uh, and at that point, 2003, you decided, uh, I'm going to leave my teammates behind this time. I'm going to take this one for myself. Uh, but uh, an older, more mature Steve comes back to the Open Championships in Knoxville, uh, and uh, and you got it done individually, regular all events, so a totally different experience. Uh, and again, uh, so with so much success so quickly, uh, it was it was a while before you got back into that spotlight at the Open Championships. Um, tell us about that decade uh, and just kind of how you got to where you were and how you got to be that guy who came out and won the All Events title. Yeah, we had a lot of good uh, tournament showings in between. You know, in uh, Albuquerque, for example, I do remember um, that was a year when I was uh, uh, still working. That was my fifth year. Uh, working and help manage the booth. And that was the year El Nino 2000 came out. And I remember it was the year 2000 because of that. That was just such an iconic thing, right? Even everybody was worried that all the you know computers and banks and phone systems and everything was going to collapse and everything was just going to stop working as soon as midnight struck. And then we found out, okay, that wasn't the case, thankfully. <laughs> Um, but to, <laughs> but we had, bowled, we had bowled good that year and a couple of different years at the National Bowling Stadium. We bowled okay. We didn't really bowl that good at the stadium. Um, we've had some good experiences and turnouts there at the stadium um, since then, but it did take a little bit of time to sort of get a little bit, I don't say acclimated, but a little bit in tune to, to what our team needed to do to bowl well at the stadium. But, you know, the thing with Knoxville, and it was kind of hard to, couldn't necessarily see it coming, but a couple of our guys um, had decided to move on as far as they're, you know, they just weren't going to be bowling as much. They're like, Hey, you, why don't you just go find a couple other uh, good bowlers? They were talking to me and to David Haynes and David said, well, I got a couple of good guys. I think we can bowl, uh, with that, uh, that we're looking, looking for a team. And, uh, that was, uh, Bill Hoffman and Ted Hannes. And so we got them. And then we actually, we had a, a, a fifth opening. We were trying to find out who would be a good fifth opening. And there was, uh, a young up and comer, you guys may have heard of his name. Um, he had a bit of a career and has a bit of a career in our sport. But at the time, he had not won uh, a national uh, event. He had actually just gone on tour. But Sean Rash uh, was 
available uh, to bowl that and interested in bowling. He didn't have a team already for that. So he bowled uh, and he and Derek Sapp actually ended up uh, winning the doubles there um, that year. Uh, but we actually finished second in the uh, in the team event there in Knoxville. And uh, sadly enough, Bill Hoffman and I both opened in the 10th frame uh, in the team event. And so we lost by six pins. And, and if either one of us mark there, we end up winning the thing. Of course, hindsight's 2020. Uh, and, and now you're, you're like, okay, well, we, we didn't know. We took the lead, but we were like, oh, it's kind of a depressing way to finish. Now, it ended up I had 89 clean. That was my only open of the 90 frames. And I think Riggles um, has 90 clean in Huntsville. I'm not sure if he's the only one. You guys might know that offhand, uh, if anybody else has, has done that or not. But I know he had 90 clean in Huntsville in 97. Um, but I, uh, but I had 89 clean that, that day, but I came out the next day and it was kind of like a little bit like, well, we were excited in the mood, but we were a little bit pissed off. You know, we were like, uh, what, yeah, great. We bowled that, you know, it was a good score, but what a depressing way to end the, the night. You know, we were both working on strikes and we had like a, like one double or I think we had a double two strikes or a strike and a spare and then two opens in the 10th. It's like, we really, you know, didn't finish it off. Uh, so we came out the next day anyways, we didn't have like this massive, you know, kind of like uh, either expectation or like we were like, oh, yeah, we got it. The lanes figured out. We're doing this. We just went out and bowled and uh, just got lined up and, the, the, you know, we just kind of get like a little bit of a feeling and you kind of know exactly what to expect. Um, feel really comfortable on the lanes. You know, you just it was just a certain thing where everything matched up for ball reaction and the mental outlook. But you know, even the individual all events, I mean, it's still you're bowling in the team environment, you know, and it's still your guys around you. You're still communicating with them. You're still working together as a team. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody that's won an individual all events uh, eagle that could just take credit for it and say, oh, you know, like I did it. Like I, that's not really the case because you, you got your team around you. And if you're successful at the Open Championships, it's because you're working together together, you know, as a team communicating, understanding, because you got to change balls, you got to move your feet a lot, you got to make adjustments with your speed, hand rotation a lot. You're just, you're not going to get through all those games without doing that. So you got to, you got to have people around you that you communicate, work well with. So that's kind of where that came from. It was like, uh, you know, yeah, it was great, but it really, the process wasn't necessarily that different than it was when we won the team all events title. It just so happened that I had the, the best look and happened to you know, be doing things the best among the team, but it was, uh, but it was pretty cool. Cause that was the first year we had bowled with Bill Hoffman and Sean and Ted Hannes. And then Sean had won. And then, so he wasn't able to keep bowling with us. He bowled with us for a couple of years and then he won on tour. Uh, and then, uh, so then we picked up, uh, another guy who, who had then also won, uh, on the PBA tour and only bowled with us one year. And that was Rhino page. So we, uh, Ted and I will say that we help, uh, you know, propel a couple of bowlers to their PBA uh, championship titles and careers, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, for forever servicing the sport, but uh, that, that brings up a good a good point is the fact that you've had all this continued success and you surround yourself with all these great bowlers and do cool things, uh, but through all of that, you've stayed the course uh, as far as your career in the industry. You've done great things with Storm, helped that company grow tremendously uh, in all these years um and then every once in a while just just popping in there 
be like, hey, I'm still here. I'm going to win an eagle. Hey, I'm going to do, you know, just just so we know that you're still around. But uh, has it been tough yeah. to to not w- want to change direction and maybe go and bowl more? Maybe that will change now that, that you've hit that 50 mark. Uh, but to be able to, to keep doing what you're doing then go out and have those those quick hitters and then get back to work. Um, talk about that. It's got to be a, a, a tough thing sometimes, maybe. Yeah, it, it can be tough, but it's not really it's not really that hard in terms of, you know, as long as you have a, a tournament or a, for me, this is just for me. I don't know if it's the same for other people, but as long as there's a little something to focus on, like you're like, hey, I got this tournament coming up, um, you know, like it was uh, in Syracuse, right? Let's say hey, I'm bowling nationals and I'm going to bowl the masters. So you know what? I don't I don't want to show up for this tournament and not be ready, you know, so I can work through that in my mind, you know, in four or five months in advance or six months or whatever, say, Hey, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to go down and practice after work. Cause I want to get ready for the masters, you know, and then I, I can do that three days a week. And, and it's not hard. It's just, it's like, Hey, you know, no, nope, I got to get ready for the masters. I'm not going to go do this. I'm, I'm getting ready for the masters right now, you know? And then it, it helps, it helps me at least kind of keep my brain in terms of thinking like, okay, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, whereas if it's just, I think, uh, I'm just going down to practice. And then they're like, well, you just practice, you know, 12 times this month. You need to practice again, you know, and you're like, well, if you don't know why you're doing it, it's probably hard to, to just go do it. But um, as long as there's a specific tournament now, the PBA 50 tour is is kind of cool. And I was signed up for one of those uh, this summer uh, before they had to cancel it. But that is something that I'm looking forward to being able to do, you know, this decade here that's coming up and say, hey, you know what, I want to be able to pick uh, you know, there's, uh, maybe there's 10 events during the summer and I want to pick, you know, tournament, uh, you know, two, six and nine or whatever, and just figure out the right locations and where it is. And then, and then that will keep me, you know, active and keep me engaged, uh, saying I'm practicing for this reason. I want to be ready for this, uh, PBA 50 event in Hammond, Indiana or wherever it's going to be. And then, you know what I'm saying? And then say, Hey, okay. Yeah. And then say, Hey, you know what, you know, then it's easy to say, Oh, well, how come you're, what are, why are you waking up early and going to the, going to the gym or going running or going and doing this stuff? Well, I'm just doing it to get ready for the tournament. So that well, makes Steve, it makes that, that part, like I say, for me, for whatever reason, it makes it pretty easy to do. Steve, if you end up going to Hammond, go to Olympia lanes to go compete, get yourself a deli sandwich. Ooh. Tell Mike Cozy hi. It's all good. He, I tell like me, me I there too, but the deli sandwich, it's, it's top notch. So is it? Oh, nice. I like that. Tell me I no like Aaron a good Smith. deli sandwich. I will not turn. I will not turn that. Day. Do you remember that the they used to have that little deli right next to the, the National Bowling Stadium? It was right out on the street, the little sports book. It was out by the train tracks. They had a. They had talk about a good deli. I mean, you talked about Mark Anderson before. Mark Anderson, he knows. He knows his stuff. He got me onto that deli. Uh, I was what? there. Gonna, at, ooh, it was I'm good. gonna throw. I'm gonna throw Mark Miller, longtime bowling guy, Ooh. Mark Miller. I'm gonna throw him under that train right now. When I went to Reno to work at the Open Championships for the first time in 2007, he told me that story. He told me about the deli, best pastrami sandwich you'll ever get. Told me exactly where it was supposed to be, uh, and had me running all over town for half the day trying to find something that had been <laughs> torn down and turned into something else years before. Uh, but uh, it, the, the legend preceded it, of course, and uh, and it was long gone by then. So I'm still upset. Mark Miller, if you're watching, you still owe me a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> uh, 
I won't, I won't, uh, you know, put any salt in that wound and tell you how good those sandwiches were there too. It was a good pastrami. Mark was right. Sad that it's yeah. not there though. You pulled on Aaron's heartstrings a little bit talking about Hammond, Indiana, one of his favorite places. Uh, and now you're talking my language. Uh, all you have to do is throw in a, a Kenny Parks or a pizza something here. And, uh, and then Ooh. you're our favorite guest ever, but, uh, Let's, uh, let's transition back. We'll talk now. Uh, you mentioned 2018 at the Open Championships. And uh, for you, again, at, at the OC, uh, you had the win in 03. You surrounded yourself with great players. Success in the years that followed. Some close calls, team event, team all events. Uh, you mentioned Rhino Page 2008. You guys had a great run. Uh, and then again, uh, another decade. Uh, and then you find the spotlight. So you're on the edge of 50 at that point. You prepared. You knew that the Open Championships and the Masters were going to be held together in the same venue, so you planned it that you were going to be there. Why not? Why not bowl the Masters, bowl both? Uh, and at Storm, they're very supportive of you guys being able to do this. Uh, Alex Hoskins uh, had made the TV show as a as a non professional the year before in Las Vegas, uh, so mm-hmm. of course uh, he was going to be bowling for sure um, and trying to improve on his runner up finish. Uh, or third place finish, uh, and then uh, what an opportunity! Two two events in one trip. You did it. You prepared, as you said. You described it perfectly, uh, and you came out and you made magical things happen. And we do have photos and videos of this uh, because now we are in the technology age in 2018. So you've now lasted generations <laughs> from the phone book to the Facebook. So this is the That's career, right. uh, Steve Klumpkin. Uh, but 2018 comes up. You guys have prepared. Uh, you've done your homework. You have great teammates around you again, David Haynes, always around. Uh, and now we get down to it. We're in April uh, of 2018. Doubles happens. Uh, Steve starts stringing strikes. Aaron, take it away. Fun fact bowling next to the Curtis Odom. And this would be the first 300 of the year. Common collected. Steve, you got it done. That's, uh, that's got to be a pretty yeah. awesome feeling to uh, to finish it off. Oh, there's that's, that's his <laughs> that wife, little, Marcia. Little just for everybody. For Marcia Klumpkin, yeah. 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 We're legit on the kiss there. Uh, <laughs> tell us about that moment and uh, and stepping up in that situation and, and the pressure and, and, and what you felt being able to deliver and then uh, Aaron was actually down in this settee taking the video, so we'll hear his take on the excitement as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, the one thing that you do know, and I, I just know this from bowling the Open Championships over all the years, is you start with another spot to where, you know, you start out with the first, you know, strike or two or three or four, and it goes on and on. Then it gets to a certain point, and it changes colors on the scoring unit, and then it's like that brings, like, a little bit of extra attention. I think that was on the front eight that that would happen, that you would see all of a sudden they would go from like green to white or something like that, right? So it would be like, okay, the pressure is building a little bit. Well, that would always be like the signal for somebody to come down and then they get the the video camera out and all of a sudden things change, you know? <laughs> this gets into that mental game thing we were talking about before. It's like, okay, nothing's really changed, but all of a sudden somebody's got a camera behind you watching you throw the next shot. So now it feels different. Now there's more pressure. It's like there's more on the line. And then a lot of times, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You don't shoot 300. Uh, but that was, you know, that was one of those nice cases where 
everything sort of fell in. Um, it was just like, okay, I was able to make the shots that I wanted to make. Um, it was kind of cool because it was the start of the uh, of the doubles event. So it was game one. So uh, David and I ended up shooting 520 that game. And uh, it was like, okay, now we're off to a good start. We actually have a chance at really doing, you know, doing something and posting a really good score. So the, the, the focus was all of a sudden it wasn't, you know, like the 300 game, hey, that was great. But then right away we're like, ooh, you know what's more cool than that is that we are uh, we're 120 over after game one. We have a chance to post a really good score and shoot something. So, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was a great memory. Absolutely. And uh, if I recall, I feel you were using a ball that was a little bit older, or you know, just kind of one of those you know fan favorites folks have that just kind of go to every tournament. Uh, I yeah. feel that was the case. Is that true? That is true. The Crux Pearl. Yeah, it was. It was a ball that I hadn't. Uh, considered taking and Marsha's like you know what you strike with that ball a lot I was trying to figure out the last ball to put in my bag to take there and she's like you should bring that one because I had used that one in many a tournaments uh locally and even brought it I think even to nationals maybe the year before uh but I had been using that for about three years uh it had a lot of games on it and uh and and I just loved it and so anyway so that was one and it wasn't the right ball for the team event so I didn't get a chance to use it but I was like well you know trying to decide okay well, what are we going to do for singles and doubles a little different lane condition try and apply some surface here try and do this and that and uh yeah and it ended up being uh it was the last ball in my arsenal that I put in for the tournament and then ended up being yeah the right one for that uh for that uh that game and for most of the second game and stuff too um, it was a, it was a good one. I didn't get to use it a whole lot in the Masters. Uh, of course, the link conditions, you know, are always uh, changing. You know, they're always different from day to day and from event to event. So, uh, but boy, that was yeah, that was couldn't have had a better ball in my hand for that. And I know uh, in talking to you and David afterwards, uh, with some of the rule changes coming up, that that was that was kind of the last opportunity to bowl doubles together, and then to yeah. make room like that was uh, just made it better and. Uh, you know, from, you know, we talked about, uh, you mentioned the, the El Nino 2000 photo. Uh, we actually have that here, but we got a, got David in the middle there. I know you guys have been at this a long time. What did it mean to, uh, yeah. you know, have that run with him in, in doubles, take the lead? Oh. Uh, you know, you guys, unfortunately, did not get the win, uh, but no. uh, still had to be a, a pretty awesome experience. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And, I, you know, everybody that bowls it wants to win. So, you know, you got to understand that going in. Um, but yeah, that would have been really, I mean, it would have been cool if we would have won that because we've been bowling doubles for so long. Um, but we still have actually been, they have a member, non-member doubles tournament that they run, uh, down in, uh, down in Vegas, uh, Gary Mage in the PBA, they run that down there at the South point. Uh, so I do get to still bowl with Dave in that. So we still get that kind of doubles competition a little bit, but we've been bowling doubles a long time and, uh, yeah, that would have been cool. Didn't happen, but we were only four pins from winning. You know, I mean, we, we, we put ourselves in position to do it. And, uh, you know, that's about all you could, could do. You can go back and look on. I had two blower 710s uh, in that set, the second and third game. And, uh, but I'm sure other people that finished, you know, just below us had, had probably a couple stone eights and whatever else in there as well, too. So, you know, it happens to everybody. But uh, it would have been cool to, to – I'm not going to lie. That would have been really awesome. I mean, the goal is to win the team event. We've had a, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Um, never won it. Um, we also had, I think, a seventh and a tenth, something like that. We've had a lot of top tens. But uh, um, but there's – you know, we're, we're not done yet. We're still bowling. 
Well, now coming into that week, we mentioned Alex Hoskins, uh, who was with you guys for that. Um, you know, he had some bragging rights coming in off the awesome performance at the Masters the year before. Uh, but you taught the young guy a little bit of a lesson that day. You had the 300. You guys nearly won doubles, as you said. You finished fourth overall. Uh, your first eagle uh, most likely happened before he was even born. Uh, so here you are yeah. showing him that uh, that the old guys still yeah. have it. Uh, but that yeah. wasn't the only lesson that you were going to teach that week in Syracuse. Uh, again, the momentum, uh, the excitement, whatever it was, uh, that was carried over to the Masters. Uh, and both of you made a phenomenal run. Um, tell us about walking out of the door of the Open Championships at that point, changing gears uh, to the Masters now, something that, that I imagine you look forward to. The format is unique. Uh, it's just different. And to go head-to-head against the best in the world. Uh, but you had to feel pretty good uh, coming off the, the experience you had at the OC uh, and uh, pretty confident heading back onto the same lanes at the On Center Convention Center. Yeah, that's the one thing it does give you. Um, you know, and there's a little bit of that confidence. But, you know, it's – and, and I don't know if you'd say familiarity, but it gives you a little bit once you bowl. That's why I do, you know, one of the things I think is nice about that. You know the area, uh, you know where to park your equipment, you're familiar with the building, you're comfortable with the approaches, you know where the restrooms are. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're like, I know this place. Like, I feel comfortable here. And uh, if you're going into an uncomfortable situation like you are, if you're bowling the Masters, and you're going against and bowling with on the lanes with guys that do it for a living, uh, every little bit of added comfort is going to help you perform better, you know? And that's, that's the way I, that's the way I felt. And I was like, okay, if I had just gone and bowled the masters right after the, uh, team event, which we didn't have any success in, I don't know that I would have felt really good about it, but having that success in the doubles and then just kind of finishing out on that in a high note, you know, and saying, Oh, okay, I can, you know, I can see the pins starting to fall. I get a little bit of a rhythm. And, uh, and then that's when it got into the, the masters. And, and I didn't go in with expectations uh, like, well, Alex made the show. I can make the show. You know, it wasn't anything like that. I'd bowled the masters before, uh, but it had been seven years before that was the last time I had bowled the masters. Um, a lot of times it had been in, I think it was in New Jersey. A lot of times um, in, it would just be a standalone tournament as part of the event. And a part of the, you know, I'd say PBA tour, just kind of be a standalone event, just among other tournaments that were going around the country. So for that, when I could tie it in with a trip to nationals where I was already, you know, if the tournament was, if the Masters was in Syracuse, but we were bowling nationals in Reno, I probably wouldn't ever have gone to Syracuse to bowl the Masters. But the fact that I could kind of bundle it together and do the two trips in one and and kind of get that a little bit of a rhythm going there, through the doubles event there then carried over and helped me uh, bowl a little bit better in the team in the uh, masters right afterwards, you know, and we had been working on some stuff with uh, layouts and strategy and stuff on lane play and, and everything. I mean, like you had mentioned, I grew up in the, the urethane era, you know, I made team USA before reactives came out. So my game had always been kind of built on being more, uh, direct and parallel and you know up the boards and a little bit more of a traditional you know level shoulders and that kind of stuff uh versus the modern game which is you know entirely different from that uh so it was a shock to to bowl that well against that in the modern environment if i was going to make a show in the masters and you said hey steve do you think you're going to make it when you're you know 27 37 or 47 you know i you know i wouldn't have picked 47 (laughs) yeah for uh 
for those unfamiliar, the USBC Masters uh, qualifying is uh, five games a day for three days, so 15 games of qualifying uh, against hundreds of the best bowlers in the world, three or 400 bowlers, uh, and then a cut uh, down to the top 64 or 63 plus the defending champion uh, for a double elimination match play bracket, and each match is three games, total pinfall. Uh, the winner will advance. Uh, but once you get down to that, uh, really, again, it's just you and that bowler on that pair of lanes uh, bowling head-to-head. So whatever's happening mm-hmm. around you doesn't matter. You could have the, the lowest score, the second lowest score in the building and and win your match when somebody's shooting a 780 and losing somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but uh, the format and is that fun. happened it's in that tournament. I mean, that happened unique. in that tournament. Yeah, it was uh, not to cut you off, Matt, but that was uh, that was exactly what happened. I mean, there was Jason Belmonte was a defending champion, right? And he came in. And the lanes were, I mean, they were on the lower scoring side. Mm-hmm. And I think Jason ended up going lose-lose shooting, you know, 690 and 710 or something. You know, I mean, it was, there is that. And it goes back to, you know, my old showboat days a little bit with Las Vegas and uh, uh, the high roller, Brad Edelman. You know, you got that uh, a little bit like anyone can beat anyone in a one-game match, you know. And this is a three-game match. But, yeah, you can beat Norm Duke or Jason Belmonte from time to time in a three game match, you know, Alex Hoskins, I think beat Pete Weber uh, the year before beat Pete Weber, EJ Tackett and Chris Barnes back to back to back, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, and he'll tell you like, Hey, this is, you know, yeah, he's bowling fantastic, but good stuff has to happen. And, and uh, it's, it's, you know, in that kind of a unique environment or you get a chance, like, all right, everyone's starting back. It's a new round. We're starting at zero again. It's whoever can, make the most of this pair of lanes at this time and see what you got. So yeah, you got to have good fortune. You have to be bowling, you know, well enough and make some shots when you need them. Um, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is still, you know, this, our sport, this, the stars got to align, you know, sometimes people leave solid eights and ring tens and, you know, sometimes you get a squasher here and there, or you go, you know, you trip a two pin forward and good stuff happens. Or sometimes you just make a good shot and all 10 pins, fall you know you just can't always explain it now you guys both made the bracket the top 64 uh, and then started working your way through of course uh you know you have great friends around you have each other you have conversation you have confidence like everything is on your side at that point uh but Mm -hmm. still some tough tough competitors ahead of you then all of a sudden we're down from 64 to 32 and making our way down uh, and then there you are uh both of you however it worked out uh, headed to the stepladder, the final five at the USBC Masters. Uh, again, you guys, neither one of you bowls for a living. You work in bowling, uh, yeah. but bowling is not your job. And uh, here you are yeah. uh, taking advantage of this great week already, the confidence, the momentum. Uh, and then we get down to the final five. Uh, and there you are getting ready, both mentally and physically, for the start of the stepladder, which uh, your first TV appearance, if I remember correctly, uh, individually, at least uh, coming at 47 years old. Uh, there's a, a star-studded top five, Ronald Pace, your former teammate, uh, who you take on uh, in the match there as well. Um, wow. Tell us uh, tell us yeah. about the, the week and just how it continued and just yeah. things good things kept happening to get to this point. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I mean, it was one of those things where, like, you know, the, the round just kept going and we just kind of winning and advancing. And Alex and I are, you know, I mean, he had, again, he had made the show the year before or so, but it was just kind of, just sort of going through just kind of like, okay, you know, how are you You're always looking at your equipment and you got to tune up this, you got to, you know, I was still, uh, 
you know, kind of like the Ron Moore we were talking about earlier before they're a little bit, you know, going like a run a mile or two before the match to loosen up the legs and do some, you know, some kind of stuff that you're like, ah, oh, let's just, you kind of get into it. You know what I mean? And like, but yeah, we're, you're right. You know, Alex and I, and a lot of other people who have, who have maybe made the, made some TV shows when they're, it's not their primary uh, focus from day to day is, you know, they're working at a desk or, you know, in an office or something like that. But yeah, I remember Alex, you know, we were looking at that big board back there and it's like, man, who, you know, who to thunk? you know, but it, it, it did happen. And then, uh, the, the day of the show, it was just, you, know, you show up early, the lanes come out at this time, want to get some stuff warmed up, make sure your shoes are good. Make sure your thumbs feel good. Make sure your surfaces are right. Get loose in practice, get the, you know, kind of the jitters and stuff like that out. And, uh, but yeah, it was really neat. Cause, and that was the one thing that Alex had mentioned too, because if for Syracuse, that was in the convention center. So even though he had made the show, before uh at the orleans it was in you know bowling center with the normal ceilings and that does feel different for anybody who's ever bowled nationals i mean it feels different when you're bowling in a convention center whether it's a national bowling stadium or whether it's a south point at the plaza it feels different when you're bowling there you've got all that wide open space around you you know so there's no there's no replicating you know that feeling elsewhere if you're in uh, your traditional bowling center back home. So that's one thing I can say is you definitely don't want to miss that, that chance to get what that feeling's like, you know? Uh, so that was, you know, that was neat, but, uh, yeah, the fact I was just hoping, you know, once I made the show, well, I mean, I guess every round it was kind of like, well, I, that's great. You know, I won, I can't believe it. I'm still going, you know, or still alive or whatever, just kind of kept going and going and going. It's like, wow, I'm still, still bowling. But, uh, when I bowled that first match against Rhino page, you know, it was like, okay, I made the show. Um, whatever happens from there, I thought it was great. I don't think there was any expectations. You know I mean? If I would have shot 160, 70, 80 or whatever, would have made a couple spares and struck a couple times and lost to Rhino. Hey, so be it. I made the show in the masters. And then I won and I bowled, you know, bowled Joey pants and then I won and then I bowled against Alex and it was looking good for a while till Alex decided he would, turn up the heat a little bit on me and uh and then uh and then he advanced to, to bowl against andrew anderson you know who ended up being the pba player of the year for 2018 so yeah it was just a, just an awesome experience i'm glad i got to go through that it was fantastic would have been nice to win kind of like the doubles but everybody wants to win so you know what are you gonna do well we might have Alex on next week and he'll have a, a storm patch on one shoulder and then the other one will be uh, i beat my boss uh, over there on the other side <laughs> but uh can you yeah. just, just kind of sum up that match and that moment and just, uh, I mean, it had to be yeah. pretty nerve wracking, but maybe a little comfortable at the same time, at least bowling against somebody that you knew so well uh, and knowing that no matter how that match turned out, one of you would be bowling for the title for the uh, at title, this major yeah. event. Exactly. And that was the neatest part, you know, and that was the one thing too is, is actually Alex. Yeah, he, he does, uh, you know, he works for us here at Storm and, um, uh, Chad McLean works for us here. Um, and I'd hired Chad and Chad and I had hired Alex. Um, but Alex is, I'd brought him onto our team in, I want to say 2014, maybe it might've been 2013 or 14, but I had brought him onto our team for nationals. So he's been my doubles partner now starting last year after we had the, you know, cause David Haynes was my doubles partner all along. Alex had been bowling with Ted Hannes. Um, but when we had just switched up our team here, uh, recently, then, uh, now Alex and I are actually bowling together. So, you know, we've still, we've still got some, you know, we've got a team title to win too, but we know I've, we still got a doubles title to win. 
uh, as well. But I've been bowling with Alex since, uh, you know, we've had seven, eight years now together. Bowling nationals, I think this year, I think this year, I think would have been the, it was either the seventh or the eighth year it would have been uh, if we had bowled this spring or this fall. Uh, so we know each other uh, just from work and from uh, competing against each other in the local tournaments, but then bowling together uh, at nationals as well. So there is definitely a certainly, you know, there's a, a sense of a familiarity a little bit where you just kind of get into a little bit more of a kind of a comfort zone uh, a, a little bit. But yeah, he, you know, I started out the match with a double um, and he had struggled. He had a, I think he had a blower 710 and he had a 2410 in there as well. And then he left a split in the fifth and, uh, and he got up. I know his pace. I know how he normally bowls. And he basically grabbed a spare ball, got up and, and rolled it quickly. And, and, and it was almost like a concession uh, kind of a thing where he just got up and threw at it. He made it. Um, but he normally gets set up just because I know his pace and stuff like that, where, you know, he, he would have normally taken more time and gotten a little bit more set on there. And he was just kind of like, you, you kind of had that feeling halfway through that game that like, ah, it's just not going to be Alex's day, you know? Uh, but then I threw a bad shot. He threw a couple of good shots. I threw a bad shot. He threw a couple of good shots. Then before you know it, you know, I had a nice lead on it that went to nothing. And then he ended up beating me and, and going for the title. But, you know, just, it, it goes back a little bit to that mental game um, that I was talking about earlier. So much of it is, you know, that, yeah, you, there is a physical component to it, you know, and people always used to ask when I was a tour rep, like, what's the difference between the best amateur bowlers that you see in the pros, you know, and it's, you know, some of it is, is the, the, the physical, you know, the way that they actually deliver the bowling ball. And if you get to the line a certain way, you know, your chances of making a good shot are better than most, you know, if you do things right in your physical game. Um, but, you know, you look at Norm Duke and you look at Jason Belmonte, you look at Pete when uh, when he's in his prime and these guys are complete masters of the mental game, you know, and staying calm and staying focused And in that environment. When you're bowling on national TV like that on ESPN, you know, you got 600,000 people or so or watch that show. Uh, and it, it just a little bit of a loss of focus or a loss of concentration, you know, is really about all it takes. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you didn't forget how to bowl, but you just didn't make the best shots that you needed to make, you know, when you need it. And when you're bowling on a condition like that, there just isn't any room for error, you know? So that's basically what happened. Um, but again, he, you know, he bowled, bowled fantastic and he, and he was only one strike away from, from beating Andrew Anderson, you know, I mean, that was it. He was like, he was right there, you know? So the fact that that, uh, that, that happened, that he was a strike away was, you know, that was really exciting, uh, just to be watching, you know? All right. Well, before we turn the lights out on today's show, uh, let's just, uh, kind of see what's, what's coming up next. Now, before 2018 and the masters and the 300, you already were a USBC hall of famer 2016. Uh, you were inducted for all of the great things that you did previously, of course. Uh, and now, uh, a resurgence of your career, almost an opportunity mm. to learn from an experience like you just mentioned uh, of being on TV. Uh, age fifty was right around the corner at the time, so the the next half. You mentioned Ron Moore a few times already. He, of course, as we know, didn't become the player he is really, uh, at least nationally, uh, until he was past his senior years and he's out there uh, being mm -hmm. a senior superstar and a super senior superstar now. Um, but he had a real job before that, so now kind of take yeah. two for Steve Klumpkin out there 
Uh, you got derailed a little bit here in 2020 uh, with some of the, the potential things that were happening and, and the PBA 50 tour and, and whatever's on the horizon. But uh, what's coming up next? What are you working toward now uh, as we get back to some sort of normalcy in the world? Yeah, as of right now, you know, there have been some tournaments here and there that I've been competing in. You know, we did bowl uh, down in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a, a doubles tournament down there. And actually, Alex Hoskins, he won it with Darren Tang. Uh, they were the winners, but I had bowled with David Haynes, and uh, and we had we advanced. Uh, we made the uh, the fifth through eighth uh, spot, so you know we had a good showing there. Uh, there have been a couple of other tournaments that have been here as part of the Storm Northwest Tour, uh, where we have a bunch of tournaments in Idaho. Uh, we have some in Montana. Um, they're starting to kind of open up a little bit back in Idaho. We've had a few local tournaments here in Utah, so I'm just trying to kind of keep my mind, you know, uh, engaged on what tournaments we do have to bowl in. And trying to stay sharp and and you know kind of keep my game in tune. Um, there there's you know there's a, a, a there was a tournament last year actually uh, that was in Korea that was a Storm Domino's Pizza Cup uh, mm -hmm. tournament that we had a lot of the top pros from Asia that we went over and had that. That was one that really had you know again had my focus and had my attention on. And then I was you know intent on you know the a couple of these tournaments here for the PBA 50. So. You know, in the meantime, I'm just trying to stay healthy, you know, kind of keep my body in shape and be ready to bowl when I do have the opportunity to bowl the Open Championships next year, as well as, you know, we actually do have a qualifier for the Masters uh, that is in Idaho uh, in about a month. So the winner of that gets um, an entry into the Masters for next year for 2021. And so if I get a spot into that, but I am looking forward to being able to bowl the senior U.S. Open, the senior Masters, and then maybe sneak in a, uh, a tournament and a good deli sandwich in Hammond. You know, you never know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like it. Very nice. Well, now at the Open Championships, you bowled 31 years. Uh, you're up there on the average list. 213 is the number. Uh, all the success, the 300, just everything, the close calls. Um, looking back over all these years, what does that event mean to you now? As, as something on the calendar every year uh, and yeah. the success you've had and being a, a, a legacy at the event now and just a celebrity – uh, what does that event mean in your eyes after all this time? Means I'm old, Matt. Means that I've been around the block a while. <laughs> no, it it you know to me the the coolest thing is you know I do get I don't live next to you know like David Haynes for example is one of my teammates I only get to see him a couple times a year, um, but you know we've had a lot of great teammates over the years and for me and for a lot of people it's just a good opportunity to connect um, and and hang out with and be with your friends and buddies and then you know, to get a chance to compete on the lanes. Of course, you know, the teams that we've had, we've always been, you know, when you're a competitive player, most of your friends are competitive bowlers as well. So typically if you're a, you know, if you're a good bowler, you know, you're a Brian Wallachek and a Mike Rose or Scott Pohl. I mean, you're, you're good buddies, you know, and th those are who you hang out with and you're looking forward to competing and then giving yourself a good opportunity or a chance to win. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at too. We still want to win some more Eagles. You know, we're definitely not done. Um, and we're going to keep competing and giving it, you know, giving it our all every year that we can. Uh, and then if, uh, you know, like I say, with enough of uh, uh, preparation and uh, kind of commitment and some good uh, performances and you have some good teammates uh, around you to support each other, uh, you know, there's no reason you can't uh, continue to win uh, some of these uh, events and makes, you know, be, a, be in serious contention. So even if you don't win, to be in contention to win. Uh, put yourself in the position for something good like that to happen again. 
uh, that's definitely what can happen. And that's one of the things, you know, bowling the open championships every year gives you a real good, you know, the one cool thing about that too, that when you're looking at the open championships is that, you know, yeah, it's nice to win the singles. It's nice to win the doubles. It's nice to win the team, but you literally, there's no re-entries. Like you've got three games, the lights flip on, everybody has the same opportunity. Everybody has only three games. There's no do-overs for that. It's just whatever you can do. There's no uh, turning in your test late or a retake, you know, it just doesn't exist. It's like, this is your score. Here's your chance. What did you score? And it's three games. And that's, you know, that's some of the, the real cool part about the open championships that I like uh, as well, too. It's not like you just have squad after squad after squad where you, you know, you're just kind of figuring things out. And if you have enough time and money, you, you do it. It's like, I don't, I don't care how much, you know, it's just whoever's prepared the most, who else, you know, comes and performs when they need to perform is going to end up the person that, that wins the Eagle, you know, or the people who win the Eagle are going to be those. So that's what I, that's what I love about it. And that's why I look forward to it each and every year. Well, and another cool benefit for you at the open championships clearly is, uh, is some sweet kisses after success on the lanes uh, <laughs> after the 300, we mentioned, uh, that's the last wife, time Marcia. she kissed me by the way, Matt, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> one more three, you know, so one more 300, more three. I got a bowl more 300s. Exactly. Uh, so you mentioned all the great support around you. Marsha being, being part of that, of course, she's a, a top bowler in her own right. Uh, also with an additional career, she's a teacher. Uh, she and I bowled juniors together in Florida many, many years ago, right around the time you were winning your first Eagle. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I should be appreciative or mad at her, but she actually drove me to my first college party as well. Uh, and then ended up leaving the state shortly after because uh, she went on and did cool things with like getting married and, and stuff like that. But uh, so there's a tie in there. So uh, I appreciate that, I think. Um, but uh, talk about Marsha just for a minute and the support. And like now in 2020, without the travel, and without all the bullying and all the things that you would have been doing, more quality time with her, time to enjoy yeah. what Utah has to offer to get out uh, and just uh, do some things that are different. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is for sure. That's the one, the one nice thing that has come from this uh, is you do get a little bit more time, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I know the golf courses are filled up. Uh, the hiking trails are filled up. The national parks are filled up a little bit more, but getting outside and doing stuff. Uh, we did go down to a uh, Capitol reef national park with our good friends a couple of weeks ago. And it is amazing and beautiful. And I tell you what, Utah, I know California has a lot of national parks, um, Utah does as well. And being able to go out and experience some of that is great. Uh, the one thing I can tell you, and this is, you know, as far as COVID goes, Marsha being a teacher and everybody has said this as they have started. So many parents have had to start to manage and negotiate this homeschooling uh, thing is that uh, everybody has come to agree that teachers are not paid enough money. <laughs> and that. <laughs> And that's what everybody seems to agree on now. It's like there's a lot of disagreement in the world and a lot of disagreement on the way things should be handled. But it seems like as more and more people have come to where they have to be responsible for educating their children or, you know, taking advantage of these devices, um, you know, be glad you're not going through a different city's phone book trying to educate or driving down for a paper, hunting through the for a library to find, you know, using the card catalog and trying to find the right aisle with the right book to go find that stuff out. And, and even with all the technology we have now, again, there's a lot of people that are saying those teachers, they, they're underappreciated, underpaid. So that's, you know, that's one thing. Hats off to them, not just because she's Marsha's my wife, but hats off to all the teachers in the world. 
Well, we, we appreciate uh, all of them. And of course, uh, Marcia, what she does for, for today's youth and what you've done for our sport of bowling. Uh, again, she and I did uh, attend the University of Florida. So that'll be my final question uh, as we wrap up here today. Uh, but Aaron, any uh, any final thoughts or questions for Steve before we go? Uh, well, Steve, you know, uh, definitely a big thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure to uh, get to catch up with you. I uh, love getting a few of the insights, especially, you know, looking back at the at the Vegas days in the early 90s and some of the great stories and uh, running through the parking lot in Reno. Uh, that, was, that was something else. <laughs> I, I have one final question for you now because you got all those great bowling balls behind you and there's so many cool things there over at storm. And, you know, yeah. everyone thinks I'm going to ask what's the best storm bowling ball of all time. And I know your answer is they're all great, but what is the best smelling storm ball of all time? Well, I can tell you as far as, as far as fragrance goes, and it's not just cause we just talked about it, but the crux pearl, uh, which was the one that I used for 300 in uh, uh, up in Syracuse has a root beer fragrance okay. and it was phenomenal. It was so, so good. And uh, the original X factor though, that I actually have one back here uh, at my rack, uh, it has a chocolate fragrance in it and chocolate was pretty good. It was a little bit on, it kind of smelled like a Tootsie roll a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. um, but those would be my two. Now, the X Fact, both of those balls, I mean, again, they got special places uh, for me because of the, the Eagle and the, and the 300 game and that. But, uh, but yeah, root beer and chocolate. I mean, those were. Yeah, that's, the, that's the way those were, Now we know. Mm, and pastrami, well, pastrami sandwich. Pastrami, made one of those yet. Well, that's Chad, coming up Chad next. McLean, get yeah. on that. Pastrami, yeah. please. And, yeah. uh, all right. Uh, before I head off to uh, run down the street now from my root beer float for lunch today, uh, final question, Steve. Saturday morning, Florida or South Carolina? What do you got? Gators, baby. I'm, I'm the Gators. You know, this is when it comes to college football, I'm go Gators. And uh, it was exciting uh, the first week, you know, when we were. We were talking about that a little bit before about the uh, the offense. Um, they got some. They got a powerful offense. And uh, in in my household, I tell you what, you better not be rooting against the Gators. I can tell you that. Marsha will let you know. So it's Gators. <laughs> you said all the right things. You get to go in the house tonight when you get home. That's uh, that was the right answer. So, uh, That's right. folks, thank you all for tuning in today. We had a great chat uh, with the USBC Hall of Famer, two-time Eagle winner, two-time World Champion Steve Klumpkin out there in Utah working at Storm Products. Uh, coming up next week, Jason Thomas and Aaron Smith are working on finalizing the guests for the PWBA podcast on Monday, then Bowling Explained on Wednesday. And, of course, we'll continue uh, starting tomorrow, actually, uh, every Friday, the greatest seasons in professional women's bowling history. So check that out. All of that on Bowl TV. And coming up next week for us here on Inside the OC, uh, we're going to have Pete McCordick on. He's the PBA Southwest Region Manager. Uh, also has bowled a televised perfect game, done some cool things on the lanes, uh, both uh, professionally and at the Open Championships and the Bowler Journal Championships, so looking forward to that. Uh, if you have any questions along the way, you know where to find us on social media. If you have any questions for Aaron or Steve, same thing. Uh, we'll make sure we get those answered again. We appreciate everybody tuning in today here on Inside the OC. And for Aaron Smith and Steve Klumpkin, folks, that's the news for now. We'll see you on the lane.